0: At first, let's go back in time. You know, I'm
1: trying to lead a normal life. So, just now, I was on this airplane to Europe. It could happen. It's been decided that you will be dressed
2: as a priest to help you get away in the pandemonium after chun Jin will give you a two-piece Soviet Army sniper's rifle... ...that fits nicely into a special bag. There's a spotlight booth that won't be in use. It's up under the roof on the 8th Avenue side of the garden. You will have absolutely clear, protected shooting. You are to shoot the presidential nominee through the head. And Johnny will rise gallantly to his feet. ...and lift Ben Arthur's body in his arms... ...stand in front of the microphones and begin to speak. The speech is short... ...but it's the most rousing speech I've ever read. It's been worked on here and in Russia on and off for over eight years. I shall force someone to take the body away from him. Then Johnny will really hit those microphones and those cameras... ...with blood all over him fighting off anyone who tries to help him, defending America, even if it means his own death, rallying a nation of television viewers into hysteria to sweep us up into the White House with powers that will make martial law seem like anarchy.
3: guys are here with
4: matt howell and on this week of the first run we dive into the a-lister stuffed latest from david o russell amsterdam then we open the lemarchand box and experience the ickiest of dubious pleasures with hulu's hellraiser remake but wait there's more our spooky season werewolf marathon continues with ginger snaps a film that sets out to prove there is truly nothing so terrifying as a teenage girl we run down the physical media dvd and streaming picks of the week then we wrap it all up with our five favorite movie monsters of the 80s. So let's get this show started with a hit from Amsterdam. Where is my eye, Harold? Right here. I never expected
0: two decorated soldiers to get knocked out of my own home. No, just one, sir. Oh, that's right, Mr. Woodman, you were too fast for Carlton. I was. They started talking to Valerie and she's not well and please, darling girl, stop crying. It's only natural for her to cry that she just found out her friend is dead. We couldn't keep it from her for forever. I'm not so ill that I can't talk to people. You leave me here with this invalid when you know very well that I think she maybe. should be hospitalized. It's for her own good. Ever say that to me again? I can't handle it. I'll, I'll be put you in a place hospital. I'll send you to a windshield. Ladies, stop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I had to raise
3: my voice. Matt, I'm going to use this term probably as loosely as I ever have. Mm. I'm going to say auteur. <laughs> David O. Russell. Director of such fine films as The Fighter. Three Kings. Silver Linings Playbook. American Hustle, a film I actually quite enjoy. Mm-hmm. Returns. Writing and directing. Amsterdam. Listen to this cast. Christian Bale. Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Chris Rock, Anya Taylor-Joy, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, Timothy Elephant, NGO Riseboro, Rami Malik, Bobby D. Mm-hmm. That is a murderer's row of, as the kids say, acting. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what is Amsterdam all about? Man, lining up that group of people. Oh, Russell, he must be Delivering some incredible stuff here. What is this movie all about? And how much acid should we do before we jump in? Uh okay. Um pot is it it hash? What's Amsterdam known for? I'm not a big jerk guy. Yeah. Pot? Yeah. All
4: right. Pot and prostitutes, that's what they're known
3: for. How much of the uh the kush should we Well let's start, (laughs) what is Amsterdam all about?
4: So hip, Chris. Thank you. So that's a great question. So I can tell you this much at least. Christian Bale and John David Washington are veterans of World War I. They are contacted by the daughter of their commanding officer, a general, a man they greatly respect, which is Matthew Modine and Taylor Swift, to kind of add to the A-list. Taylor Swift! Yeah. Um, She then accuses them to look into a plot that was... uh, potentially to kill her father she thinks there was some foul play Uh, when they come to reveal what they have found she is murdered right in front of them and they are now on the run because they are suspected of causing said murder even though it was in front of like 15 people
3: so i need to point out it's not matthew modine it's ed Begley jr
4: is it yes oh i'm sorry Sorry, Ed Begley Jr., you look like Matthew Modine in this, in this, uh, this film.
3: I think it's probably more of an insult to Matthew Modine, because I, <laughs> I think Begley's got about 15 ears on him. Okay, very so, good. So, yeah, nice job. Sorry, man. Anyway. I didn't bother to look it up, I just said, you know, that well, looks like sorry. Matthew Modine. <laughs> so, <sighs> alright. I've had an interesting relationship you know, cosmically. I don't really know Mm. the man with David O. Mm. Russell for a very long time. I have been a fan of his work and I have not been able to stand his work. Also, from what I understand, he is a grade A A a-hole. He got, I think George Clooney punched him in the mouth on the filming Mm -hmm. of Three Kings. He is notoriously a difficult person. And I do not understand why these people are lining up to work with him. Christian Bale supposedly was writing this film and developing it with Oh, Russell off and on for years because he thought it was such an interesting story. Matt, Amsterdam, supposedly, it's all over the interwebs, is going to lose about 100 mil for the studio. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. performing poorly. And why do you think that is? And do you agree that perhaps it should? Or is it being yeah. unjustly maligned by a bunch of snooty cinema goers like myself?
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, first, I'd like to point out that at least Bale is you know he is not known to be the nicest guy and easiest person to work with so maybe it's just kindred spirits that are that are That's really true.
3: oh i keep you know i got to write it down cuz i always want to grab that clip on the terminator salvation one mm-hmm. I was like good for you about the guy <laughs> who mis- interrupts the scene yeah yeah i got yes. go that yes yeah so you're right i forgotten about that
4: yeah so i can say when i was watching this when i saw the previews i was ex- Cautiously optimistic for it. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked pretty good. The trailer, mm-hmm. the trailer was cut that it could be interesting. Mm-hmm. um Once I actually started watching this, uh, Chris, it's just mediocre. It's a lot of money, a lot of A-list talent. It's got some flashes of good acting in it, but for the most part, it all seems wasted on a nonsense, nonsensical story that is overstuffed and uh, very workmanlike in its presentation. It's completely uninspired, which I don't know. It makes me wonder with all these people who are known for their great work or like if they just, what they thought of this while they were filming it. I I don't know why they all signed up for this.
0: It's all going wrong!
3: Yes, yes it is. (laughs) Yeah, it Yeah, I don't know. One thing too is like there's two actors I want to point out in this. And I've talked about both of them before. In less than glowing terms. First is Rami Malek, who again. Well, yeah, but that is
4: because he made the cardinal sin of portraying somebody that you absolutely adore to a level that you don't appreciate.
3: No, I'm sorry. Okay, no, no. That's factually accurate. All Mm -hmm. right. The statement is true. Yeah. That he—it's not because of that. Did he play that person? Yes, but you're going to tell me that he deserved the win Best Actor that year?
4: No, no. But I'm just saying that. That's all I,
3: I'm saying. That we're right, I, honey. Uh, we're right there, you and me. No, just uh, take no. that extra step.
4: You're, vitri- you're vitriol. <laughs> you're. We're, we're, we're running into Chris. Chris is the is the uh, arbiter of of what is right and what is wrong in CinemaDom.
3: Well, that's yeah. But I, I don't think it's a stretch. I don't think I'm really going out on a limb here, Matt, in sure. saying that I think that his performance is not great in Bohemian oh, yeah. Rhapsody. All right? Yeah,
4: I, I don't disagree with that. i just saying, I mean, yeah, I thought he was good in Mr. Robot. I enjoyed him in that show. I
3: have not seen it, so I cannot hmm. opine. Okay. But again, here, not great. I didn't think he was terribly good in No Time to Die mm-hmm. as well. And But I think the big issue... I think we talked about this in uh, Tenet, is John David Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to wonder if this kid's got it. I, I don't know.
4: He has no charisma. He is like none, none of the charisma of his father. It's crazy and to me. his
3: father is like a, what? Like a son. Like nuclear yeah. amounts of charisma that guy. Yeah,
4: man. When he comes in to like, chew up the scenery and ham it up, I am on board because he is fun to watch. Goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus. That exactly. <laughs> that is that is who that is
3: who Jesse Ventura was talking about. Yes. That's exactly it. But no, yeah, and he's just, he is almost kind of this blank slate, which in some ways can be good because then you can mm-hmm. kind of imprint and become a character and become something entirely different than yourself. But he right. doesn't seem to really have that. I mean, I thought he was great in Black Klansman. All right, that is the mm-hmm. one thing I've seen with him that maybe just Spike Lee knows how to handle him, just like uh, Kristen Stewart in Personal Shopper, right? Sure. You got to know how to work with her, though I think she's since really progressed and done other performances as well that I've, I think, it's going to sound horrible, but kind of redeemed her career yeah. <laughs> from the Twilight days, right? Mm-hmm. But this entire film, that, is a botch. And I think part of the issue is I, I don't think the three of them work as a trio, which is Bale, Robbie, and Washington, I feel no camaraderie between the three of them, even though that's the core of the entire film. And O. Russell assembles this all-star cast, and he completely whiffs. He is basically doing his riff on a Coen Brothers movie. He's trying to out Coen the Coen Brothers by making this film, dealing with a rather serious subject, and injecting some humor on it, uh, and slathering it all over it, all, getting it all up in its business. And... <laughs> It's bad. It's just a bad film. And his satirical take on this moment in history is just, like I said, he completely botches it. It really does. And I think what infuriated me the most, and I actually said out loud watching this film, oh, fuck you, at one point, is when he tries to make a serious point. Because, oh, Russell knows that we are experiencing similar parallels in our society right now as to what the core story of this film is. Mm -hmm. And at one point, he tries to be serious about it, but then he undercuts the entire thing by having this Scooby-Doo ending, which is just, in a weird way, chef's kiss bad. And I think the big core is that his screenplay is just not sharp enough. It's like, a spork. It's not a knife at all. And it is atrocious. I, It's... The reoccurring dream dialogue bit as well is just... It, it's infuriating. And the whole thing is like that. And it it just... The, the film really upset me. I don't know. Man, am I off base here? I, I think this was atrocious. Yeah, I don't know if I thought it was atrocious. It's
4: not good. I think it's not... It doesn't do enough to even really rile my anger up. Like, it doesn't raise my ire. I can't even Mm. be bothered, really, to even give it that much of my energy. It's just... It's something that exists. I'll never watch it again. I'll never recommend anybody watch it. It just kind of is there. I didn't like it, but I don't... I'm not angry at it. I don't hate it. It just kind of is what it is. (laughs) Which is damning it, I think, even more than being angry at it is.
3: I guess. There is something to say, for being apathetic about something and not caring about it, instead of me being, um, you know, extremely upset about the whole thing. I'm thinking the whole time, I'm like, you dumb motherfuckers! <laughs> I was really <laughs> upset at points in this movie because just the audacity. And it fits so much in with L. Russell's personality as well. Mm. He's definitely the kind of guy who thinks he's the smartest man in the room whenever he walks into it, right? Yeah. And I just, it's just, it's horrible. It's bad. It's really bad, and it's infuriating. Because I, I think i said this many times, this phrase. Conceptually, it's interesting. There is a germ, there's an an idea, a seed of a great film here. Yeah. And he is so smirmy, 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 smarmy, swarmy, and so smarmy. self-satisfied mm-hmm. with what he is projecting on the screen for us that he forgets to tell either A, a compelling narrative, Or just to remember, to to reel back his script about thinking how clever he is while he's putting this together. It really, it's a a big, big disappointment for me, man. I have it as a D. I'm feeling like it, I I should say it's an F, but the D is there probably just because I was so angry and I was so frustrated that there is a core of a good film in this movie and the all-star cast too, for the most part, is okay. Like, I like Michael Shannon and Michael Myers. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought they were, um, if anything, they were probably high points for me, but the rest of it is just, it's, uh, I don't know, what's what's the um, phrase again?
0: No good, really bad for you, Uh, not good, believe me,
3: not good. So, (laughs) I I guess I'll stick with my my D. I'm going to lay off the clips for the rest of the show i think i'm overdosing on them right yeah you
4: really you really got a quick finger with the with the clips i don't
3: know i felt like that not good one i really stalled on was. Yeah. <laughs> I was stalling for time trying to remember which one it was yeah david o russell really seems like
4: the guy who's very smug and likes the smell of his own farts i think they really should have just given this to somebody it would have been interesting if he had taken this script and then like giving it to the Coens or like to Ryan Johnson to kind of punch up a little bit and maybe direct it themselves. But you Mm. know, he would never allow such a thing to happen. I think a D is completely fair. And I almost kind of want to give it to a D because you're making me more angry about it than I was when I was watching this movie, but I'm going to give it a C minus. I think it's just, I can't really just bring myself to really care about it so much and be passionate in my hate of it. It's just a thing that I watched for this podcast and, I'll just chalk it up to, you know, another of the long hundreds, maybe thousands of disappointments we've watched for this show.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They still make for fun discussions. Yes. So, all right. I I will say this. If you want to see a whip-smart kind of political satire based on true events thing, watch Burn After Reading. Actually, watch Mm -hmm. The Professionals Do It Right, Mm -hmm. Uh, the Coen Brothers take there. So uh, check that out instead. If you had a chance to see Amsterdam, currently playing in theaters, man, I got to tell you how happy I am that I have the A-list, even though they're, they're boosting me by another buck or so, I think this oh. month or next month, mm-hmm. but I got to see it in Dolby for some reason, which is good, I guess. I don't know. But mm-hmm. if I had paid like 20 bucks to see this, this would have been, I would have even You been would more have called into question
4: of the whole podcast at that point. You really would have questioned your life.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, in theaters now, feedback at com. That's what I need to get a drop is them saying Amsterdam. All right, let's, uh, let's go with have something that's going to cheer me up, Matt. I think okay. one of the most interesting things about, and one of the only, probably one of the only good things about the streaming slash content wars, that there's all these services out there now, is that these once great properties that have been consigned to these direct-to-video hell, they can get a second chance and mm-hmm. get a, like a, a kind of a biggish budget reboot. And one of those is the Hellraiser franchise. Those first, okay, the first film, I think, is a 80s classic horror film. Mm-hmm, Second one, rock solid. Yeah. Third one, eh, okay. <laughs> and then that were really sharply downhill. So now Hulu has released a Hellraiser kind of sort of reboot. And uh, I was, I got to tell you, Matt, Clive Barker's psychosexual BDSM based horror franchise, at least it's conceptually, is wonderful and fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I was really mm-hmm. looking forward to this and uh let's see how that turned out what
0: are you explores in the further regions of experience of sensations rim our gifts are boundless i do want them yes you do our god awaits you know what it can offer resurrection Your brother's ending was exquisite what would it bring you comfort to see him again two more and he is yours feed it their pain their blood unlock the next configuration and then the last
3: I wonder what happens after the last configuration. Mm-hmm. So Hellraiser, Matt, is reborn, directed by David Bruckner, based off a screenplay by Ben Collins and Luke Petrovsky, And this made me nervous, based off a story by Collins and Petroski and David Goyer. Ooh. Which is kind of a roo, 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 little red <laughs> alarm for me. But still, and of course, Matt, based on what? Clive Barker's The Hellbound Heart. Is that uh, yes. accurate?
4: okay it is that's a good little novella you should read it well i mean it's only 100 pages chris it's fine i can't
3: read it so hellraiser is back matt this time we have a young woman who is an addict she's a recovering addict matt, and she's trying to put her life together she's staying with her brother who is in a gay relationship that's important i'm going to bring up a little later why and then uh she and uh, uh, this guy she's currently seeing he does like delivery stuff and there is a, an abandoned warehouse thing that may it was owned by a bunch of rich guys or this one rich guy and they're going to rob it and see what see what's in there cuz you know no one's been there for months. Mhm. Cuz cuz this rich guy, he's a hedonistic millionaire guy, his name is was it Roland Voigt? Yeah. And he op- the film opens up in these kind of parties that Matt tends to go to. Right. These kind of eyes wide shut kind of sexy orgy things. Mhm. And then so we get our establishment of who our bad guy is, who's trying to connect with the Cenobites. And it's basically the story. Then they find the abandoned warehouse. What's in there is the only thing that's in there, of course, is the box, our Mm. uh, little key, and all the horror that happens as she starts to solve the puzzle box and open up the gates to hell or the alternate dimension and all the other fun stuff. Matt, I don't know. (laughs) I'm... (laughs) I'm going to say, hey, all right, let's start with the positives. I think Jamie okay. Clayton as the new priest or as maybe common folks may know her as Pinhead mm-hmm. uh, is, is a couple, I think, interesting inspired touches. Hiring a trans woman to play mm-hmm. Pinhead, I think, is a really nice touch and a smart move. Sex and identity and exploration into the darker side of things, or even, not even just a darker side, but examining who you are. And accepting who that is, no matter what the consequences may be, was a big part of that. Also, a lot of the Hellraiser stuff, particularly that first film, is dealing kind of with. There's a heavy and spoilers BDSM, you know, feel and vibe, especially to that first film and to the second film as well. Obviously, I think that it was it. What's your name there, Melissa on Twitter, which I think is brilliant. She tweeted out like that um the first film is basically all based around this one woman who is so dickmatized that she because <laughs> she it <laughs> kills a bunch of people just to bring back her uh former life. Right. Love. Right. And what I think is weird is that this film abandons I think all of that. So they bring it in by having Pinhead played by a trans woman, I guess. And then the addicts brother is in the gay relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And Clive Barker being a live out loud, at least for the last couple decades, a gay man. Mm -hmm. And it's, but the core of that, I feel like is entirely abandoned. It's, I felt like it it was made as like a a hat tip. It's like, well, look, we have a trans woman playing pinhead. There is a gay relationship here. Mm -hmm. And, but that's it. And I don't understand that, that you would take something that was so core, I think, to the entire, franchise or at least the origins of this series Mm -hmm. and just abandon it yeah but it's an exploration of the core of it map being the exploration of the connection between pleasure and pain right which is entirely excised
4: yeah so i think the main thing i think what what you're trying to get to i think is my main complaint with the film now i will say this i enjoyed this okay I think as much, I mean, it doesn't reach the heights of the first film, which I absolutely love. I think it's probably on par for me, maybe a little bit lower than 2. But I, but it's head and shoulders above any of the sequels after 2. Sure. I mean, it is. So I like the designs. I thought Jamie Clayton was great as the priest. I loved the chatterer came back because mm-hmm. he's my favorite. Um, you know, I thought some of the other ones, like uh, the... They have great names, the Weeper and the Gasp, were were yeah. just uh, were fantastic. But I think what you're what you're kind of getting at is the kind of subtext of of Hellraiser is that you are responsible for your own damnation, right? So that you're trying to reach this thing that is you've done all the extreme things that you can, and there's still you still want more, and you kind of open a box, a gateway to something that is more than you expected, but it's exactly what you were looking for kind of thing. Yeah.
3: Like the whole thing is that it's about exploring who you are and your sexuality and maybe all Mm -hmm. the things that that could potentially lead to be they wonderful or damning. Right. And go and going too far
4: and all that kind of stuff. Whereas this has changed where you can kind of bring in somebody unwitting to that. Right. And I think it's a, a, a foundation of the first film that Christie in the first film, there seems to be a pause by the fact that she didn't mean to call them. Right. But yeah,
3: yeah, there's even a line where he says that she's the one that opened the box, but she's not the one that called us. Yeah. Right.
4: Right. Right. But like, and I, that's the second one
3: with the girl who's got the, sorry, go ahead.
4: Yeah. And they, so I don't like the fact that one, that it's not all about, Wiley, because she's the one that opened the box i don't like how they make it kind of like a standard monster movie where you can kind of transfer this curse to other people the only reason they do that is so they can up the body count and i think some of those scenes are very cool and they're very effective and they're very kind of you know kind of make your skin crawl and, and flinch a little bit just by the kind of cruelty of it all um but I, that's the one thing I didn't like. It's not like you didn't do it yourself. You're being, having, you can have something foisted upon you kind of thing. I don't know. I think there's, that's the missing undercurrent of this thing is that Riley is more of like an unwitting victim where really what it should have been is like, she may not have know how deep that she was getting into, but she went on that path of her own accord. And that's just kind of a fundamental thing that's missing of this.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's good, man. I, hmm. Yeah. I, all right, a couple of technical things, too, I want to explore with you is, first off, I know I got my super nice Dolby Vision TV OLED, mm-hmm. the OLED thing, but the thing was super dark, right? I was able, mm-hmm. to be able to make out what was happening, but yeah. this was shot very dark with very little natural, or I should say artificial light, right? It seemed yeah. pretty...
4: Yeah, I watched it in... Early morning on Saturday morning, like in a dark room, the the shades were all still drawn and stuff. So I was able to watch it without a problem. But if I watched it like in the bottom stair, you know, a bottom room of the house where it's really much brighter, I think I would have had a real struggle trying to watch this thing.
3: Yeah, I watch it like at 10 o'clock at night, one night do this over the weekend. So, all right. So that, and then what else? Um, the score for the film, I liked when they had... The touches of the old mm-hmm. score from the fo- mm-hmm. original series would kind of peek through every now and then. But I did like that there were also, I think in the beginning, there's this ambient sound of bells, but that reflects yeah. really the chains is what that yeah. sound is supposed to be, right? So I thought that was a nice little touch. I think it maintains the gore pretty well, though it's it's spotty. It's not consistent. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when it hits, I think it hits really hard and is good. Yeah. Uh, like you, I enjoyed the designs of the uh, Cenobites. I think they look pretty good. Though, again, absence of the um, flowy leather type mm-hmm. stuff, right? It's more just mm-hmm. exposed human skin and cutouts and piercings and all the, re- yeah. all the like. So, I don't know. I, mean, I think in the end for me, man, I get that I th- it's a reinvention perhaps for a new audience, right? Right. But it's still, I felt it hollowed out the core of what this series was supposed to, what it was really about at its heart, mm-hmm. and I think band-aiding it by having a gay couple and some heterosex thrown in, and then a trans um, hell priest. No, I think Clayton is good. I still, I felt we're we're missing out a bit, and I think I end up giving this Hellraiser a C. Like you, I think it's probably the second best film in the series. Yeah, it's neck and neck for me with Part Two because still neck mm-hmm. and Part Two probably. Hellbound probably still has the most disturbing scene in an in Hell, or in Hell, or in Hell or in a film I think I've seen outside of the of Frank reassembling in the first film. Yeah. yeah. The uh the scene on the on the mattress with a guy who thinks he's covered in bugs gets the razor yeah. handed to him. That one yeah. like that's one of the few times in my life where I had to turn on the lights when I was watching a horror film. <laughs> Granted I was like thirteen or fourteen at the time too. So sure. but yeah. So see.
4: Yeah. So I uh... I think I enjoyed it a lot more than you did. I gave, I'm going to give it a B. I think it is, it's got a lot to enjoy. I think my complaints are, you kind of got to know that going into it. And if you're okay with that, then I think you're fine. I don't like what I just like, obviously what I went at length, what I talked about, I don't like how they just kind of made the Cenobites kind of just general monsters where you can yeah. like keep them out and stuff like that. Um, I didn't like that. But I think there's it does enough right that it gives me hope, and I hope it does well enough that maybe they do another one.
3: I don't think so.
4: I know Clyde Barker was consulted on this, and I don't wanna say the man can do no wrong because I did read his first his his sequel to Hellraiser, The Scarlet Gospels, and ooh boy. Ooh, not good. <laughs> so uh <laughs> you know, I I, uh, I think uh I think there's more. I think there's a lot to work with here, and I think it's a it's a decent foundation. So I have hope for it. But overall, I enjoyed it. I give it a B.
3: So how close to the novella is the first film? Do you recall? Um, I'm probably dating a bit here.
4: Yeah. So not. It's actually pretty close as far as the story beats go. The xenobites in it are e- probably even less, and they're also a lot weirder. They're a lot like more otherworldly and, and disgusting kind of thing. But okay. it's actually, it's pretty close. It really focuses on Frank and, and uh, you know, what is going on with that whole relationship more than it is about the Cenobites.
3: Oh, is it Cenobites or Cenobites? I think I say Cenobites. I have no idea. I okay. honestly have no idea. I well, think it is Cenobites. All right. Well, let us know, folks. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Hellraiser is currently available on Hulu. So there you go. Matt, let's talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, October 18th. One thing is a reissue of possibly one of the greatest documentaries
1: of all time. This is ridiculous. We started May 94, man. We've got every F-stop known to man in the film. (laughs) And right now, we gotta take action, man. We gotta go out to that field, put those scarecrows in on a killer slant. You know, they've been there for years. The farm's burnt down. It's gonna be the opening shots for Coven, you know?
0: And uh, what is Coven?
1: Coven's a 35 minute direct market thriller film shot on 16 millimeter black and white reversal. Uh, it's uh, an alcoholic, man, compelled to go to this group meeting by his one and only friends left, but they're not that helpful, the group, you know? You know about the group thing? Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's what we're doing a film on. Coven, man. We got to get this sucker done, though. Seriously. Last night, man, I was so drunk, I was calling Morocco, man. Calling, trying to get to Hotel Hilton at Tangiers in Casablanca, man. That's, I mean, that's, that's pathetic, man. Is that what you want to do with your life? Suck down peppermint schnapps and try to call Morocco at 2 in the morning? Well, that's senseless. But that's what
3: happens, man. Yes, it is. Indeed it is. That of course Mark Borchardt's... uh basic movie about Mark Borchard trying to make his short film Coven. Uh, uh <laughs> Tony is releasing an American movie <laughs> on Blu-ray man. Wow. Man, I love the
4: American movie. That's a fun time. That is a fun watch.
3: We did that for the show, didn't we like early we did. early?
4: Yeah, what really really early on. We did do it for the show.
3: Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a very long time. I'm so happy that's getting back in the print or at least more widely available. So uh, what else? Actually, I should say on October 14th, Matt, because it's I know we're in the middle of spooky season, but i give you got to give you a heads up. There is a super special edition of Vince Guaraldi's A Charlie Bound Christmas being released, but the soundtrack, Matt. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's four CD and a Blu-ray, which includes a whole ton of uh, deleted songs, uh, alternate takes, and an unearthed session tape as well from Fantasy Records vaults. Includes a Dolby Atmos mix mix on the Blu-ray, and there's also a vinyl version as well. So, but there's 50 never heard before outtakes in this set. Wow. So, wow! If you're That's a big a fan of Charlie Brown's Christmas, this sounds like a, a nice little set. You'll need to pick up. I won't. I think I'm good with the record as yeah. is, but still, mm-hmm. it is a classic. So, but uh, Mrs. First Run hates it, so uh, we don't listen really? to it That yeah, it's. I do not understand that. It makes me sad. Turns me into a little of a Grinch. Did you hear they're making a Grinch horror movie now, too? Like they did uh, Pooh? They? No. I uh, do not hear that, no. I think it's, it's called nice. You're a Mean One. Oh, <laughs> very good. Or maybe just <laughs> The Mean One. I don't know. Either way. Okay. Matt, coming up, Bullet Train. Just a, another swing and a miss of a movie is coming out. Uh, Walmart has a unique slipcase. There's a steelbook as well. It has some outtakes, bloopers, Easter eggs, and more. Just really disappointing. Uh, A film I think we did enjoy, mostly. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is getting Mm -hmm. its physical release as well. There is going to be a 4K on that too. Including audio commentary with director Helena Rain. Some deleted scenes and more. Orphan First Kill Matt getting its Blu-ray release as well. Another film that we enjoyed. I do love the first one. I think I like this one better than you did. But still, Mm -hmm. worth at least a rental. And I think it probably is still available on, was it Paramount Plus, I believe? I think so, yeah. So there you go. Uh, the horror film Fall is coming out, Matt, on Blu-ray. For best friends, Becky and Hunter, life is all about conquering fears and pushing limits. But after they climb a 2,000-foot top like, radio tower thing in a remote area, they find themselves stranded with no way down. Why would you do that? Why? RLJ Entertainment is releasing The Innocents, which is a, what is a Danish film, right? We did about a month or so ago about a couple of kids who develop superpowers oh, and yeah, all the horrible yeah. things that that may entail. Very good, yeah. I think. Yeah, it, it was good. And then uh, Easter Sunday, this is Joe Coy's film is being released. Includes a uh, feature commentary by the director, uh, who's um, actually from, um, what's it, the Broken Lizard? Is that the name oh, okay. of the group? Jay yeah. Chandrakisakar. Am I saying that right? Yeah. I think I'm botching that. And uh, Joe Coy is on that commentary as well. Some gag reels, deleted scenes, and more. The animated film, Pause of Fury, featuring the voice work of Michael Cera, Sam Jackson, and Ricky Gervais is getting released. IFC is putting out Flux Gourmet, starring Asa Butterfield and Gwendolyn Christie. Shout Factory is putting out the horror film The Possessed, along with Kingslayer, which is about the Lionheart before he ascended to become king of England, as he must fight for his life, Matt, and learn the responsibilities of leadership amongst a treacherous ambush. Paramount slash HBO Max is releasing the Station Eleven which is supposed to be pretty good about survivors of a devastating flu pandemic who try to rebuild their lives after losing everything. Shout Factor is also putting out the latest Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, with uh, some special features on it. And then DC Animated is putting out Batman and Superman, Battle of the Super Sons, where basically I think uh, Robin and uh, Jonathan Kent have to save Batman and Superman from something, I think it's Starro. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is putting out a couple horror films, Matt, this is what I'm waiting for, for the Barnes & Noble sale. Cure, okay. Here, uh, which is about a wave of gruesome murders sweeping Tokyo. The only connection is a bloody X carved into the neck of each of its victims. It's supposed to be a really disturbing film, a brand new 4K restoration of that. And then La Llorona, which is not the god-awful conjuring film. Right. But this one is more, it's a, about, uh, it's set in Guatemala. With the words, if you cry, I'll kill you, ring in their ears. Alma and her sons are murdered. In Guatemala's armed conflict, thirty years later, a criminal case is brought against Enrique, a retired general who oversaw the genocide. But he's acquitted through a mistrial, and the spirit of La Llorona is unleashed to wander the world like a lost soul amongst the living. 2K, 2K digital master, excuse me, on that one. Unearth Films is putting out Martin Campbell's, and that's of course Martin Campbell directed. Uh, what is it? Goldeneye and. Mask of Zorro and Casino Royale and some other good action films. No Escape was a sci-fi film from the what is it, the late 80s, early 90s with Ray Liotta and Ernie mm-hmm. Hudson's in this one as well. I actually pre-ordered this. I was always a big fan of No Escape through my local video store, Viper Video here in Tampa. So I'm looking forward to picking that up. Ronan is putting out Becky. Remember Becky with Lula Wilson and Kevin James and Joel McHale where the uh, convicts kind of infiltrate the house and this young girl has to go all MacGyver and take them all out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you're getting that out. Sony's also releasing The Razor's Edge. This is the uh, Bill Murray drama that's coming out on Blu-ray for the first time. Kino Lorber's putting out some stuff. Film Noir, The Dark Side of Cinema Volume 10, which includes 2K restorations of Flesh and Fury, The Score Jungle, and World in My Corner. They're also putting out the 80s horror film, Happy Birthday to Me, which features a new interview with actress Tracy Bergman and a new audio commentary as well. The Eyes of Laura Mars, one of the first films written by John Carpenter, is being released on Blu-ray, it includes an audio commentary by director Irvin Kershner. You may know him, Matt, as a director of Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And of course, I think RoboCop 2, amongst other things. And then Gothic Fantastico, Four Italian Tales of Terror, is being released by Arrow New 2K restorations of Lady Morgan's Vengeance, The Blancheville Monster, The Third Eye, and The Witch. Arrow is also putting out two witches, which is about witches who don't die before leaving their legacy. Brand new audio commentary on that and some new interviews and more. Matt, Steelbooks this week. Um, well, it's basically just the ring. The ring is getting a steel book release. And okay. then your four K releases. Return of the Living Dead from Shot Factory. Dan O'Bannon, I think the only film Dan O'Bannon directed. A great little zombie movie, Matt. And it's the movie that introduced the conceit of zombies eating brains. Okay. It was the 80s, I will say, classic Return of the Living Dead. Tropic mm-hmm. Thunder getting a 4K release. Punisher Warzone getting a steelbook from Best Buy. And then E.T. is getting released by Target as a steelbook. So I guess there were more steelbooks. And, but also in 4K. And then Jackie Chan features in Dragons Forever. Hot shot lawyer is hired by a mysterious chemistry factory mat to dig up dirt on an inconvenient fishery seeking damaging court action. Sidekick Hung and professional crook Yoon swiftly sprint to Chan's aid. Ironically, the gang finds her toughness softening in the face of two gorgeous ladies at the fishery. They inadvertently hit a center nerve of the chemical factory when they unmask the hideous fade of narcotic syndicate. What? I'm assuming it's supposed to be face of a narcotic mm-hmm. syndicate. But I've heard Dragons Forever is supposed to be pretty good. I have not seen it. I do like me some Jackie Chan. Matt, you're straight to DVD pick of the week. You remember years ago when there was like a run on date movies? Like, not like like kissy, kissy, smoochy, smoochy stuff, but like movies with like dates in them. Like, it started, I think, with yeah, like yeah, 2012. Yeah. And then there's yeah. like 1031. And yeah. then like January 31st, 19. You know, <laughs> well, 1031 part three is oh. being released. Welcome to another edition of the Hollywood. How, or Halloween, depends on how you want to put it. Monster marathon with your host, Mavolia, the Queen of Screams. This year brings you four more creepy tales of mummies, madmen, and fun-sized demons. <laughs> Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Um, so in honor
4: of our werewolf marathon, I'm going to recommend uh, the latest MCU special presentation on Disney Plus, Werewolf by Night. Um, it is a stylized black and white uh, ode to the cheesy horror comics of Marvel in the seventies where the titular werewolf by night is being hunted by a series of monster hunters and one of Marvel's great ripoffs. The man thing also makes a pretty awesome appearance in it as well.
3: Yeah. I've heard that's pretty good. I want to check that out. I think it's on our TBD list. We have a list on the side of the calendar of stuff we want to check out at some point. Uh.
4: Well, I watched it today. It's only 55 minutes long.
3: Oh, is it? Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. I thought it was like an yeah. hour and a half or something. Mm-hmm. Good times. All right. Let's keep rolling then, Matt, and spend a few minutes talking about the latest film and our Halloween werewolf marathon. It's time to break out the crisps. I thought Ginger Snaps, Matt, was going to have some kind of tie-in with like a cookie. Mm-hmm. But it's not. No. It's actually a very very little clever. Is it a porment, porment, pormento? Pormento? Portmanto. Portmanto? Yeah. I guess it's not, is it? I don't it's
4: know. It's not. No, it's like a uh, this is good radio. We 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 <laughs> know we know that, it, that it's something but we're too dumb to to yes. think of it right off the top
3: of our heads. I know I know one thing after watching this movie, Matt. You know what? This has the bacony stink of Canada all over it. That's right. <laughs> Let's talk about ginger snaps. Ginger, why are
0: you rubbing your back? It hurts? Why? Well, um Pain flows up your nerve endings, so the synapses in your brain. She's not funny.
2: How did you hurt it? Being dead. Does it hurt down by your tailbone or is it up higher? Is it is it tight throughout here? Maybe. Does it ache back here? Might.
0: Oh my god. Do you think it's cramps? (coughs) Give it a rest for two seconds off. Pam, we're eating. Henry, the girls are both three years late menstruating. Okay, it's not normal. If it's finally happening. It's not. Honey, it's nothing to be scared of. It's the most normal thing in the world. Maybe it's cancer of the spine. Ginger, Anne. Or tuberculosis.
3: (laughs) (laughs) ha Matt, Ginger Snaps. So it is <laughs> relatively, I think, well known that mm. this film plays werewolfism, werewolfism, basically lycanthropy. as, what is that? Lycanthropy. Thank you? Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Did you just make that up? I know. I'm just kidding. Um, that, but lycanthropy though, as a metaphor for puberty mm-hmm. for boys too, but mostly mm-hmm. young women. And Ginger Snaps is known as a cult classic, even though it's Canadian. Now I, I shouldn't give any problems to our our neighbors up north in America's hat. Uh I am a uh very big fan of theirs, though I I do have struggles with some of their exports. Sons of bitches. But still, I welcome the ginger that's enough. No more clips, Mac. Calm down. So <laughs> she just snaps right so uh, we have two sisters they're very close they're outcasts in their society and there's high school particularly and one of them one night gets attacked by a Wehrwolf and starts to slowly not quickly not by mm-hmm. a full moon mm-hmm. slowly start to evolve into a beautiful young woman no a no even so much as grow a tail Mm -hmm. and it's then the rest of the film is about them dealing with that but also her occasionally maybe killing people and trying to hide that and also looking for a cure for her Mm -hmm. sister Uh, so that's basically Ginger Snaps which I think ostensibly Matt is a horror slash comedy which is something a genre that Matt simply adores
4: Mm -hmm. I love it
3: so what are your thoughts on Ginger Snaps is it the cult hit that you had heard all these years about did it hold up because I've been wanting to see this for a long time but I never have so I'm glad we added it to the list, but is it, what do you think? What are your thoughts on the snaps?
4: Yeah. So I had, I had seen this before. Um, I, and I had heard one of my roommates in college was super into werewolf movies and he like got them all on DVD. Everyone he could find, he got on DVD and he talked about how much he liked gender Snap. So it was always something I tried to catch up with. And I've heard a lot of good things about it. It definitely reveals its budget. And I think overall, I think on the second go round, I liked it enough, but I don't... I don't see... I don't love it. I'm not a yeah. part of the cult of this classic. No. Um, it's it's okay. Um, weirdly, I had a weird issue with Mimi Rogers saying that she would burn the house down with her husband in it because it doesn't seem like he's a particularly bad guy. He just yeah. seems like he's a long-suffering dad with a, a house full of uh, morbid uh, children. <laughs> um, so, like, I I don't know what that was all about. And... I think the idea of you know Ginger getting progressively more werewolfish as she gets closer and closer to the the full moon, like it's like a constant state of thing where she's constantly in a rotation of being in some kind of werewolf state. I think is an interesting idea, um, but for the most part, like Ginger sucks
3: because she. Well, and, it's because she snaps.
4: She does. She snaps. Get it? Oh, I. Oh, Chris. Thank you. You're You've brought it all into relief for me. I I take back everything negative I said. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I don't know. So, what did you think as a first time watcher of this uh, Canadian opus?
3: One thing I will say is that I, I I was a little light, a little leaning on the film because it is Canadian. So just by that fact, the whole film is starting with one arm tied behind its back. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's it's okay. I think it has some nice moments. I think the script at times feels fairly overwritten mm-hmm. um, and a little too clever for its own good. Not David O. Russell bad, but, yeah. you know, still. Uh, I think that the transformation is well done, even though it's a little minimalistic at times. I think that the finale is solid, and I think mm-hmm. all the money clearly went into the last 20 minutes of this movie. Right. And it's a little rough at times and I'm not sure how well the humor lands for me. Not terribly well. I think the puberty metaphor is I will be generous and say slightly a bit heavy handed, but, um, (laughs) I don't know. I think at times it had very much had a very T Canadian TV movie feel to it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I think the conceit of it is a fun way to tell this story. All right. I think it's a unique perspective on this legend, if you will. But, I don't know. I think at times it was trying too hard to be clever. So, overall, I think it's enjoyable enough. I could see why some people would adore it. Um, Especially maybe, like, teenage girls uh, who may have come across it at the right time. Mm -hmm. And teenage boys. I don't want to be sexist. But uh, it's it's mostly okay.
4: Yeah. It is very 90s. It is very kind of low rent. It's like a weird amalgamation of, like, Early season Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Degrassi Junior High, which is a, you know, obviously a Canadian import. Um, So it's like mashing those two things together. It is, it's very painfully 90s. It's very low rent. It has a few middling charms, but it's not, it's not great. But it's not terrible either. I guess, did you enjoy this more than you enjoyed The Wolfman? I probably enjoyed this more than I enjoyed The Wolfman.
3: Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Uh i don't know because larry was a wolf man and in this one ginger snaps mm-hmm. <laughs> so so what we're saying here folks is that uh
4: werewolves are are a tough a tough monster to deal with
3: yeah i honestly i think i'll watch the wolf man before i'll watch ginger snaps mm. so i think that's my answer Extreme. to that question I will say I did not like Ginger Snaps in the very beginning too, because I think we spent the first twenty minutes basically killing dogs, which is always a no no for me. I, you know, so.
4: But even if it's dogs killing dogs,
3: but people not... wolves, people wolves, <laughs> I'm not. I. It still doesn't like that. I like pups. Pups are innocent. I mean, unlike children,
4: you know, it's nature, man. <laughs> yeah, unlike children, right? <laughs> right. It's nature, man.
3: What Without do you <laughs> lay it on me? Cold Classic Ginger Snaps, Matt is giving it a blank. C plus. B plus? C plus. C plus. Yeah. All right. I was hovering actually between C plus and B minus. So Mm. I think there's a certain charm about it. And even though it's a little amateurish at times. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know what? You're right. I think C plus is the way to go. You're talking me into it. C plus it is. Sorry, Snaps. Sorry, Ginger. I hope you don't. <laughs> no. Don't snap. All right. Too, too soon. Too much. What are your thoughts on the Ginger Snaps? It is currently streaming on Shudder. Am I right about that? Was that where we watched it? Shudder? Uh, Peacock. That's it where I watched it. Was it Peacock? Yeah. All right. It's on one of them. If you get a chance to see it or you are familiar. It is also a special edition Blu-ray from Shot Factory, if that's more your bag. It's just an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, let's close everything out because we are running long baby and mm. uh, let's f- share our five favorite 80s horror monsters this is my honorary the thing list because it would clearly be my number one I'm not holding Matt to that mm. but it is my honorary the thing list
0: fire's got the temperature up all over the camp won't last long though neither hey will we How will we make it? Maybe we should. If you're worried about me. If we've got any surprises for each other, I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it. Well, what do we do?
1: Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens.
3: Matt, that, of course, is a clip from my favorite horror film. Actually, I vacillate between that and The Shining, but I probably Mm. watch The Thing more because it's not as heady and as long. Uh, So I do adore The Thing. So that is my honorary list because it would easily be my number one. So, why don't you start everything off, Matt? What is your fifth favorite 80s movie monster?
4: All right. So, my fifth favorite uh, 80s movie monster is uh, a remake from a 50s film with that's what's so much more effective. Uh, it's the blob. There's something uniquely terrifying about a giant amoeba that just goes around and eats people. And I've said it many times on the show, at least. Multiple times on the show where the like eight year old kid gets eaten like really, really traumatized me as a kid. And I think the decision to make the thing fast and have it be incredibly gory and painful way to go um, really stuck with me. So I think it's a The Blob is my number five.
3: Oh, interesting. Number five. Mm hmm. Okay, Uh, my number five then is a film that I, uh, well, monster from a film that I like loved as a kid. The little monsters really freaked me out. I don't know why this made me so uncomfortable, and it is the Skeksis from the Dark Mm. Crystal, Mm -hmm. the um, reptile kind of buzzard bird hybrid things, really disturbing. I think character design from uh, from uh, Henson and his crew. So, um, I haven't seen a dark crystal in a very long time. I bought it on Blu-ray like three years ago. Of course I haven't yeah. watched it, but I've been meaning to catch up with it. I really wanted to watch that Netflix reboot as well.
4: Yeah, me too. But I
3: have not seen that either, but still those creature designs stuck with me for a very long time afterwards. And when I think of disturbing stuff of monsters from the eighties, they always kind of end up popping in my head. So that's my five. Yeah.
4: I think the, another really cool design was the, like, uh, beetle-like insect warrior guys that uh they ran around with Mm. the massive domes and on them those were pretty cool too yeah all right so by number four then is a film that we've talked about several times even for you know another show uh but i think the alien queen from the from aliens is a quintessential uh horror monster you know obviously it's more of an action sci-fi horror film i guess but the alien queen was a was a solid reveal and was was a scary massive thing when you saw it on the screen for the first time in 1986
3: no that's a good that's a that's a good pick it's actually my number six so Mm -hmm. um i i I think why it didn't get in there is because it's still based off a design of the alien which is from a a film in the late 70s right so Mm -hmm. i kind of just talked myself out of it but no that is a good pick all right my number four then is starts off i tell you matt super cute Everybody loves a little one of these guys. You just can't feed it after midnight. You can't get it wet. But I think the Gremlins themselves in um, mm-hmm. Joe Dante's wonderful little horror comedy, uh, Gremlins, is fantastic. Stripe was all freaky as heck. And uh, I don't know. I've always loved Gremlins. I have not watched that film in probably 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Of course, it has the luminous Phoebe Cates in it as well. Mm-hmm. But still, um, yeah, I love uh, Stripe. And the rest of the Gremlins crews, especially when that one gets stuck in the blender. Man, that thing mm-hmm. haunted me for a long time as a kid. <laughs> so Even
4: more than the one that she cooks in the microwave and it explodes. The
3: microwave actually is pretty good. You're right. <laughs> that may be number one. But uh, yeah, Gremlins are my fourth favorite 80s monsters. There,
4: there you go. All right. So number, my number three then is... I. I I initially had this at number one, but I I moved it down for specific reasons. It's the thing. And I only moved it around down as far as I did just because it's, it's not an 80s. It doesn't seem quintessentially 80s. It's very timeless and it is a very terrifying creature. And it's, I mean, we've talked a lot about the thing on the show, so I don't need to go into it and, you know we'll see what happens as far as the next time we bring up the thing, because we'll talk about it again at some point in the near future.
3: I'm sure. So my number three then is the only one on my list. I think that, well, no, my next one is a, it starts off as a person too. Mm. But okay. my number three is Brundlefly from David Cronenberg's mm-hmm. The Fly. Mm-hmm. When he uh, does a little teleportation thing, but the little fly gets in there with him too. And their genes kind of mix up. And then he slowly yeah. starts to turn into a fly. And it's, one of the most disturbing and disgusting body horror films you will ever see. Uh but uh yeah, Brundlefly, it was so disturbing and gross and icky and terrifying and it's my number 3.
4: Yeah, Brundlefly was messed up. Um all right, so my number 2 then, even though Chris kind of excluded them from their list, I think it's wrong for him to do that. Um it's the Cenobites. Um mm. they are I mean, yeah, they're demons, but they're, they're monsters. They're not slashers like, you know, like Jason or something. I think, you know, especially the chatterer, it really, I thought that was a great monster design. That was so cool with the lips pulled back and the clicking of the teeth it was a really effective, uh, kind of lurking creature in it. I thought they were great.
3: That's a, you know, yeah, i the Cenobites are my honorable mentions. And I think when I first did my list, they are like number four. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of said, well, they start off as their people, but then I did the Brundlefly. So what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> I don't know why I put these weird things up on my list. Uh, isn't you overthink th- it. I, I do. The, the Chatterer, too. Wasn't he, like, a, revealed to be a kid? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Woof. Maybe Sonabite uh, should be on my list. I have no integrity. What's it matter? My number two, then, is Tarman from Return of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. One of the coolest zombie designs, I think, ever. And again, the introduction of the eating of the brains into the zombie mythos. But what an incredible character design. And the movements and how they did all that stuff is just absolutely fantastic. So Tar Man is uh, my number two.
4: Yeah, Tar-Man's scary. He is, And what's scary about the, those movies is that the zombies have a good amount of intelligence. Like they're yeah. able to figure out problems. Um, yeah, it's a good one. All right. So my number one, then, you know what? He is, uh, he's supernatural. So I thought he fit. Um, he comes at you in your sleep and he is quintessentially, I think the eighties bad guy, even more than his slasher buddies. And of course I'm talking about Freddy Krueger. Um, you know, Jason never really scared me because I mean, come on, are you going to run into a uh, a maniac in the woods or something? So what, but Freddy, he's going to get you while you sleep. And you have to sleep. You can't avoid it. Um, and that really freaked me out as a kid. I was way too young to see it. But just seeing the commercial where Johnny Depp gets sucked into the bed is mm-hmm. enough to have, have, have traumatized me for a very long time.
3: In that geyser of blood afterwards. Well, they skipped that in the commercial on you know, 80s TV. So <laughs> Fair. And two, with uh, uh, Freddy also being a monster even prior to his death, right? Mm-hmm. That, is a, that is a solid pick, Matt. You're right. I mean, if I went cliched, I would probably <laughs> go like J- Freddy, then Jason. I was like Jason more. Um, and then what would I do, Matt? I'd go Alien would be number one. Cenobites would probably be number three then. And then who would I throw in as two? What's the uh, other? Oh, like Predator, maybe? <laughs> so dismissive man (laughs) Nah, those are good picks my number one then was matt's number five which is the blob Mm -hmm. in some of the best practical effects of 80 any 80s horror film really terrifying disturbing stuff like when you said that kid gets eaten or that one where shawnee smith opens the door and her friend is there like reaching for her as it's like eating the skin off of his ah. Terrifying, disturbing, disturbing stuff. I love the Blob. It's one of those things too that I think it's the last five, ten years. It's really started. It's gotten its due as just mm-hmm. a great horror film and one of the best remakes or of, of a horror film ever made. Yeah. So uh, that '80s Blob movie is fantastic. It is my number one. So there you go. Very good. Honorable mentions. Tr- go ahead.
4: Uh, the Deadites. Yep. Um, yep. Were an honorable mention, and the werewolf from American Werewolf in London. It's a great, it's a great werewolf design and, a, and still to this day, the best transformation scene that we have of a werewolf.
3: Absolutely. Uh, I had the alien queen, like I said, predator, the blob from Creepshow, show to the lake mm. segment.
4: Yeah. That's that one freaked me out too.
3: Yeah. Uh, pumpkin I had, uh, we mentioned Jason, you said the dead, the deadites, Cenobites, Freddie Belial from basket case, second mm-hmm. basket mm-hmm. case reference in so many weeks. Yeah. Uh, is it Almer from brain damage? Frank Lauder's mm-hmm. film. And, uh, of course, the monsters, I think both from Leviathan and Deep Star 6 are good if you like your uh, sea monsters. Let's not forget Chud Mm. and the Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers, uh, Critters, and then, of course, Toxie. Good old Toxic Avenger himself.
4: Mm, Toxic Avenger.
3: So, there you are. What are your favorites, folks? Shoot us an email at feedback at run.com. Matt, what's coming up on the show next week? Oh, wait a minute. is it, Do we get to say it again? Evil
4: dies tonight! <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. So we're definitely going to be checking out Halloween Ends. And um, it looks like there's some other ones on here. It's something called uh, Decision to Leave, which I'm blanking on right now. Park Chan-wooks um, new film. Oh, okay. And... I may have to insist that you watch this, Chris Blonde, because I really, really, really want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> because it is, it is a wild, it I'm, is a wild experience.
3: I don't know if I'm going to have time. Mm. Well, I, I guarantee you this: if we don't do it next week, we will mm. do it the following week. Because I am uh, going on a work trip; I'll mm. be on a flight. And I'll be watch the uh, worst case scenario, I'll watch it on my iPod on the flight. And I'm assuming it kicked off the flight. From what I understand, it's pretty dirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah and you're disturbing. really gonna
4: have to like set up some blinders <laughs> for that so, for what uh your people around you may see um and then our werewolf uh, marathon continues with the company of wolves a film that i have not seen that i'm really looking forward to trying finally checking out
3: yeah same with me i've always wanted to see it i've heard, heard pretty good things and angela Lansbury stars in it. and mm-hmm. she just passed which you heard that from that manchurian candidate clip from uh, a little while ago a role she should have won an academy award for um one of the big snubs in oscar history so uh yeah no looking forward to discussing all of those i'll try and figure it. the problem is i gotta I got softball playoffs Thursday night. I could be there mm. all night if we win. Mm. So we'll see. So much we going on. See. And I got a pack. Mm-hmm. So much to do. It's so a little time. And isn't Blonde like almost three hours long?
4: Oh, it is. Yeah, it is.
3: All right. We'll figure it out. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, is that everything? And then, uh, yeah, sure. And then go to thefirstrun.com. <laughs> Find the report card. You can see what grades we give stuff. i got to update that. I like to give it like a monthly time so people don't mm-hmm. like go right to the report card, but I think I'm a little gotcha. behind on that. And then archives of all the shows going back, Matt, forever. You can want to listen to episode one of the first run. It's right there. And all of its god-awful sound quality with its $20 microphones. <laughs> uh, and then uh, what else? Catch you on Apple Podcasts. Go over there and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And I guess that's it, Matt. So why don't we go ahead and take an extended break? We will see you all soon. Take care of yourselves.
1: We love you.